I'm going to be reading Mark 9:30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and he was in the house, and he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Thank you, Maddie. Isn't Maddie awesome? Whoop. Got my communion cups. So we're in the Gospel of Mark. For those of you who have not been with us for a while or, uh, or intermittently, we're in Mark again, the Gospel. And the sermon title of this whole series is uh, This is Jesus. Uh, we have come to the conclusion um, more deeply uh, than ever, I think, that what we most need right now is to, to understand who Jesus is and how, that relate, how he relates to us. Find our joy, our hope, our strength, our counsel, our provision in who he is, which ties just intimately with who, this, who we are, because we are the body of Christ and each one apart. So I was pondering this section of Mark this week, this little portion here, and it's been some amazing ones recently with like these really famous verses about take up your cross, follow me. Last week, the, the man said, help me. I, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Uh, and there's some pretty classic bits in this passage too, but I, thinking about it, I realized that our world actually pretty much revolves around the question that the disciples were trying to answer here. And it's this, which one of us is the greatest? Our world revolves around this question that these disciples were squabbling quietly in the corner so Jesus wouldn't hear them. Which one of us is the greatest? So I decided that we're going to figure it out this morning, right here, right now, with all of us. I've got a couple of assistants who are going to pass questionnaires out. They've got their multiple choice, and we're going to figure out, finally, who is the greatest among us. Yeah? No, you're not happy about that? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But if we were to do this this morning, what would, we, what would we use? According to what criteria would we make the decision as to which one of us is the greatest? Education, age, because older people are, of course, greater, right? We're wise. Where you live, where you went to school, your wealth, travel, skills and abilities. We could do some IQ tests of intelligence, Bible knowledge. That might be a good one for a Sunday morning. Followers on social media. Many of you got, come on, I'm kidding. Rugged good looks, an elegant wardrobe, the ability to grow a nice looking beard, art, yeah. I wonder what the debate might have consisted for for these disciples. What would they have used? What criteria were they using? They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. How about which one of them was called first to follow Jesus? Well, he came to me first. I was fishing, and 
He saw my genius from afar, and he called me to follow him because he knew he needed me. Uh, those who had had the most success, shortly before this in the Gospel of Mark, he sent them out two by two to go, and he gave them authority to heal and to cast out demons. So maybe they're kind of comparing notes on that. You know, hey, I cast out 25 demons. Well, I cast out 25 and a half demons. Um, so Peter, James, and John would have had a bit of a head start here with an ace up their sleeves because they just, a couple of weeks ago, saw Jesus glow, shining like the sun on the top of the mountain. That mountaintop experience was only three of them out of the 12. And they're just like, we were invited to witness Elijah and Moses. And wow, what a thing it was. They were also the only disciples who were invited to be present when Jesus raised a small child from the dead. You know, it's interesting that we heard from Josh last week. Where is Josh? Hey, Josh. Thanks for sharing last week, man. I always appreciate it. And um, he talked about this, the passage where the, there was a man, he was distraught because his son was demon-possessed, and it was kept trying to harm the child. And, and the, the disciples had been unable to fix this. Jesus came off the mountain and, he, and said, your disciples can't do anything about it. And I'm thinking perhaps this debate about who was the greatest came out of this kind of experience. Um, so Peter's like saying in this argument, you know, I could have done it, but John was eating his snacks so loudly I couldn't concentrate, you know. They're like, and, but I think that sometimes uh, in these kind of things, when you come from a place of uh, insecurity, I think sometimes you feel you've got to bolster your own self-worth, right, and your own value. So maybe just that experience of failure and they're all like, you know, but I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm doing okay. You know, Josh also mentioned last week that, that we've talked about a lot, that unless we let the Bible, like, speak to us first, we have no right to stand up here and talk to anybody else about it. And that can be a hard thing. You know, I've, sometimes I fought that right up until Saturday night. I'm like, no way. I'm not, I am not listening to this. This is not for me. But I always have to go, okay, here I am, Lord. You love me. Your grace is sufficient. Show me myself. And I tell you, I have had my fair share of attempts at greatness when I really was thinking I was going to be it. Music, you know, I was in a band back in the day, some of you guys know. And, you know, despite my, you know, punk rock ethics about not wanting to sell out, I wanted to be popular. There's nothing better than people telling you how wonderful you are. And, you know, and, and like, oh, your music's changed my life, man. You know, you, you know, whatever, right? And as much as you try and be noble and, 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 and motivations, it's kind of like, you love it, right? Your ego is just like, oh, more, please. Anyone else? Well, everyone's gone. I'll go and stand outside. Maybe someone will say, you were great. Um, parenting, right? Parenting, it's like you have this pressure to be, you know, I just remember, you know, my parents really struggled when I was a bit of a wild one, you know, about my reflection on their parenting, right? And, you know, you kind of look at other people and go, how come their kids are so perfect? Mine are. That's what most people do about my family. But that, that way. And then church, right? You'd think that'd be different, wouldn't you? But so often churches, it's all about the, what's greater. Numbers, right? We are driven so much, especially pastors, by numbers. I'm like counting over. I know exactly how many people are here right now. Just like that, Right? And I'm either happy or sad. You know, sermons, right? Even preparing a sermon, I'm like, I want you to think I'm great in my flesh, my core, right? It's just, you can't, almost can't separate that from yourself. And whatever you do, it's hard. 
And this world is this really one big competition of greatness, it seems, isn't it? Because it's unbridled. Unless you're something that would tell you that that is not good for us, then that just goes. It just happens. It's everywhere, right? Without some something to stop it and go like, this is not healthy for our communities. We see it everywhere in social media, likes, followers, being an influencer of politics and sports, who's the best? I can't wait to figure out who finally is going to win the World Series and we can just call it done, right? Is it ever going to end? We figure out finally who is the best football team in the world. It's Dundee United in Scotland. No. Who is the best? You know, the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't condemn the desire to be great. He doesn't condemn this, a desire, a human desire to be the greatest. Sitting down, it says he called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first, not saying that it's bad to want to be first, but he said, they must be the very last and the servant of all. So there is in the kingdom of God this, this positive impulse and desire to be great in some way. He affirmed both the possibility and the worth of greatness. But the problem was how his disciples understood what it means to be great. And the first thing is that they were using the wrong measurement for greatness. The wrong standards by which to measure. And what was that? It was one another. They were comparing themselves to one another. Their knowledge, their experience, their relationship or closeness to Jesus, their role and I think that's typically we also do the same thing, keeping up with the Joneses. Where are they? I know, I was so hoping you'd be here today so I could say keeping up with the Joneses. It's not hard. Yeah. There's a few of you I'm trying to keep up with. I have my... My comparisons, you know, but when we compare ourselves to others, we're always comparing ourselves to some vague, subjective, moving target that will always make us either feel self-righteous or like a big, fat failure. And there is only one standard according to which we are to evaluate greatness in our lives. And, and really, it's God himself. But then you can say, well, God is spirit. How could I possibly ever do that? He is eternal and infinite in all his ways and, and greatness and well, what about Jesus then? That you could say, well, he's God too, right? But here's the remarkable thing. Jesus is fully human, took on human flesh completely. And in Philippians chapter 2, this is an amazing passage, one of my favorite parts of the entire Bible, which describes what Jesus did as far as being great. He tells us to adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself. He made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant. He self-identified as a servant. And by becoming like human beings, when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that in the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven and on earth and under earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. His greatness is directly tied to his humility and his service. 
That is what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And not just that, but as a human being. And our world in so many ways has nothing to restrain this competitive thing that we do that causes so much harm. It's very hard to intentionally choose downward mobility. Choosing downward mobility. But according to Jesus, that is the wise way to live according to the kingdom of God. So how do we live this out? How can we start to maybe understand what it means to be great in the kingdom of God? Well, really it's this. Jesus does an object lesson here. And it's put yourself intentionally in the humble place. You know, sometimes we don't want to keep faking it all the time, but sometimes you've got to put yourself in a place that corresponds to that which you want to be as your heart and soul start to kind of catch up with it. You prayerfully do that. And Jesus does this. It says he took a little child and he pla- who he placed among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus takes a little child. It's really significant in that day what it meant to take to choose a child of all things. And I can imagine it was probably a, a little girl because in the culture of that time, children, apart from the basic love of their family, and especially boys, that hopefully would provide for their family at one time when they're, when they're old, they really meant nothing. They had no value. They were, they were really of very little value in that culture, not as far as stature, not as far as respect or honor. They were children. And Jesus picks this one person from the whole community, from all the disciples, even that, right? Didn't pick John. Hey, you know, John's my guy. Be more like John. Picked a kid and set him before them and said, become like this. And this is the demonstration of what it means to be great. It's not those who are greatest in the world's eyes according to those characteristics. It's about, it's about welcome and hospitality. And in a certain kind of way, to that for whom you have nothing to receive from. You can't receive anything from this person. You do it because you are, you are being made in the image of Jesus like this. You know, I worked in an after-school care system when I was like, I dropped out of college after two years, and I did okay, okay, guys? It's not the end of the world. <laughs> I was doing teaching, and I was just too young and immature. But then I ended up working in a place where it was in a really deprived neighborhood in the town I lived in in Scotland. And so we would basically, it was a group that wanted to help single parents. So either they would work, or in college, and we would pick their kids up from school, and we would feed them and do some kind of fun stuff. But one thing I always remembered that when I worked with them, the, the, the boss there told us, like, when you speak and communicate with a little kid, get low, you know? Get down to their eye level. I still do that sometimes, like, now. Get to their level. And I think we can learn something from that about this, like, to put ourselves in the humble place, to get down from where we are, and especially toward the person who, for whatever reason, is diminished. That's what this is about. It's about welcome, hospitality, and putting yourself in the place with somebody, whether it's through sickness, whether it's through poverty, whatever marginalization they're having in their lives. Jesus is saying, you want to be greatest in the kingdom of God? You, you welcome these kinds of people. Put yourself in the humble place besides them. You know, I was thinking about... Some might think that this could, is an invitation to become a doormat, right? Put yourself in the humble place means I was going to be stepping over you. And I was thinking, what is the most common thing that it says on a doormat? 
welcome. How do you evaluate this? You know, we got to realize this is not the law, okay? This is not the law. Like, whenever you meet somebody, try and, try and uh, lower yourself, humble yourself, just, you know, whatever below you. This is about a relationship with Jesus, because this is what it's all about. It's about a transformative relationship. It's not the law. The new law is not now be a doormat. The law is when you have an opportunity as you're following Jesus to come alongside someone who is low down. Really think carefully. This is probably an opportunity to follow Jesus into, this, into the posture that he put on and become great in the kingdom of heaven. Whew. You know, and that's what we're trying to do. You know, I'm thinking about our church. What does it mean to be the greatest? I want to be the greatest church in this whole area. And we will compete with all the other churches to be the greatest church. What does that mean? It means we will compete to be great in terms of serving our community, loving our community, seeing the people that have nothing to give, they think, or the world thinks. And we see them, and we go to them, and we ask them to tell us their story in Jesus' name. And it will mean humbling ourselves as a church. That's hard for a pastor. You know, most past, many pastors I've met, one of the first things they ask you, especially even more so in youth groups, right, Josh? Youth group, you meet, go, Josh goes to like a youth group meeting. Like, How many kids do you have in your youth group? It's like such a common question. You know, I have seven. You know, it might mean that those seven are the ones that you're pouring your life into. That is time intensive. That's labor intensive. That needs all the people of Christ to be participating in that kind of ministry. And that's what we're doing here. The ministries that we do here, the coffee in the courtyard isn't just about coffee. It's about people who are coming because they have a need for food. They have a lack of food. They're coming to the pantry. We thought, hi, we want to get to know them. So we sit at the table with them and we have conversations. And the more of us that can do that, the more we're going to start to move into this way serving students, our neighbors at Charter Oak. There are so many people there. We just want to be beside them. And it's inconvenient. It's time-consuming. Sometimes it's really messy. But it's all in the name of Jesus. You know, I think there's a really, really hopeful thing for all of us here. You might today think that or have thought in the church world that you didn't have much to offer. Because I tell you, there's a lot of glitz and glamour in the church world. You know, you put the beautiful people on the stage, right? Whatever, right? Skills, talents, intelligence, blah, 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 right? I love this. The disciples are arguing over which one of them is most qualified for greatness. And in response, Jesus presents to them a small child at his side in the place of honor and says, he who is least among you, he is the greatest. What a powerful lesson. In an argument about greatness, according to the criteria to compare to one another, this small child would have no chance. Imagine he came along with the disciples of argument. He's like, da, 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 da. what about me? They're like, get out of here, kid. They do that in the gospel. Get these kids away from here. And Jesus said, this child is great because he doesn't have much. But he is my child. No matter what your age or your skill, anyone is capable of greatness in the kingdom of God. This is good news. This is good news. No matter how mobile you are, whatever it might be, how broken you think you are, how stuck, 
just as you are, you are sufficient. Jesus didn't call his disciples because they were talented or wealthy or powerful. And if you read the word of God, you will find that God delights to invite and empower and engage the least and the last and the lost. He can work with anyone that has good news. 